0: Welcome, everyone, to Grace Fellowship. This morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. In that, we're going to look at two verses. And, you know, we're going to take a step back. Because for the past few months, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's kind of like when you put a, uh, a puzzle together. You put that puzzle together, and the pieces don't necessarily make sense by themselves. But when you step back and you look at what they've created you kind of get an idea of what each one meant. And so we are going to take some time and walk back through the entire Sermon on the Mount. And next week we're going to start a series on, on the Psalms, and Justin's going to walk through all the Psalms for us. <laughs> I like how the biggest laugh was Justin, right? So I got good news and bad, bad news for you. The good news is, no, Justin's not going to walk through all the, the, uh, the, the Psalms. The other good news is I am going to walk through the entire Sermon on the Mount this morning. And so there is no bad news. <laughs> and so this will kind of be your crash course in the Sermon on the Mount. The Cliff Notes version, Sermon on the Mount for dummies, if you will. No insult intended. Not, doesn't have to do with the audience. But if you missed a week or you're having a hard time putting together what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to cover that in its entirety this morning. And so we're going to move kind of quickly. We're just going to hit high notes But first, I want you to turn to the end of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7. There's two verses that Matthew includes. The response to the Sermon on the Mount is so telling of Jesus' teaching. Matthew 7, verse 28 and 29. This tells us so much about what just happened. Because it's easy for us to spend this time in these, these teachings and and kind of get lost in each week. But when we see that Jesus taught this as one whole body of teaching to this crowd who stands amazed, and he's teaching in a way that was was completely different than what they were used to, uh, you can see why their response is what it is. So Matthew 7, we're going to read 28 and 29, and then we're going to walk back through the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus finished these sayings, The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you sent your Son as the authority, as our authority. And you sent your Spirit to work through men who meticulously kept and transcribed what you wanted us to hear, and that authority still rests in your word today. So that when we open the scriptures, when we sing according to the truth of your word, it still holds that authority because it is held in your Son. And let's pray this morning that as we walk through this this passage, that his authority will resonate within us. It will convict us. It will ground us. um, It will challenge and encourage us. Because we don't serve just some ordinary teacher of the law. We serve the lawgiver himself who walked on earth to keep that law and also came to explain it to us because he knows that we are hard of understanding. So Lord, I just pray this morning will be uplifting to you and it will be encouraging to us and your spirit would would work in us this morning uh, that we would walk away knowing who Christ is, knowing who we are in Him, and knowing our role in this world. And Lord, we love you and we praise you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn back with me to chapter 5. The very beginning of chapter 5 says, Seeing the crowds, He went up on the mountain. And when He sat down, His disciples came to Him. So, in Jewish custom, when you read scripture, you you stood up. When it was time to teach, you sat down. And so Jesus sat down. Walked up a mountain. Augustine says this is not by accident. I mean, this is this is this is calling on Moses here because the law that the Jews were supposed to live by was given to them on a mountain. Jesus walks up on a mountain and sits down. And he talks to who? His disciples. Those closest to him followed him, but there were still throngs of of crowds behind him, and the disciples listened as he began to teach, and the crowds listened as well. No amplification here, no speakers. You probably could have heard a pin drop, because Jesus, this guy who's saying things we've never heard and doing things we've we've never seen, is now going to explain it all to us And they start to lean forward. I mean, you can sense the anticipation when he begins to teach. And he begins opening his mouth saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right out of the gate, this is radical. Because this is not blessed are the outwardly righteous. Blessed are those rich religious guys. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you who know your own brokenness. Blessed are you who recognize your bankruptcy before God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not for the rich or the outwardly righteous. It's for the humble and the broken and those whose righteousness is in Christ. So when we started this series, we said that this is our thesis statement for the entire Sermon on the Mount. Because unless you are first broken over your own sin, the rest of this teaching means nothing to you. Unless your righteousness is not in yourself but in Christ, the rest of this teaching is meaningless. Because you have nothing to bring to the table. You are poor in spirit. And those who are poor in spirit mourn. They mourn over their own sin. They mourn over the fallen condition of the world. They mourn over death in pain and disease because those things are not good. And we recognize that this world is not good apart from the good things of God. And, And they mourn as they should. They will be comforted. Their comfort comes from their God. It doesn't come from the things of this world. Their comfort comes from their Savior. Their comfort comes from eternal security. Their comfort comes from their humility is not someone who's unsure of himself. Jesus is declaring this. He's saying it confidently. He's convinced of this. I mean, think about the authority it takes to say this. Because in, in our verses at the end, it says he is, he's not teaching like the scribes. So I, I want to just uh, backtrack a, a little bit here. Because the scribes had no authority of their own. The scribes, the, the, the teachers of, of the day, uh, they were repeating the law of Moses. And in, in the period between the, uh, the uh, testaments, uh, when there's a lot of uh, um, unrest in Jerusalem, the uh, Pharisees rose up and they started to add all of these other requirements onto the law. They tried to save God's people by adding to the law, by adding this hedge around God's people. So not only was Moses' law not enough, but the, the teachers decided that they needed additional laws on top of laws because they weren't, they weren't doing a good enough job. And so instead of pointing to God himself, the spirit, they decided to add more letter to the law. And so when the people responded and say, he's not teaching like our teachers, uh, from what we understand, the, the scribes of, of that, that day were like, it, it, was, it, was like um, it was like reading court proceedings. It was just... So-and-so said, this rabbi said, this, this teacher said. They were always quoting someone else's authority, had nothing on their own, and it was, and it was boring, and it was, and it was dull, and they, they weren't convinced of it. They hadn't been convicted of it themselves. They were just repeating what they had heard orally for hundreds of years. And then Jesus steps on the scene and he says, Blessed are, because yours is the kingdom of heaven. He's telling them who belongs to heaven. I mean, just imagine how radical this is because the scribes are saying, so-and-so says, and Moses said, and Moses said, and Jesus says, I say. Jesus starts right out by telling what the kingdom of heaven looks like and the people of the kingdom of heaven, what they look like. Jesus corrects the teachings of these scribes with his own teaching. And as we'll see in a few moments, this is not something new. He's not adding to the law, he is fulfilling it. And then the first subtle statement um, really is kind of a shot across the bow because he goes through these, these Beatitudes and he says in verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you. Wait a second. The Jews to this day are still all about comfort. Like we don't like suffering. Uh, we do not want to be persecuted, we do not want to be reviled, we want everyone to love us, we want to be in our own little bubble and just leave us alone. So he says, blessed are you when you're persecuted, that's ridiculous enough as it is, but he takes it one step further, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Think about those words, a teacher is saying, blessed are you when you're persecuted on my account. If he's not God, that's the most arrogant statement ever. Because blessed are you when you're uncomfortable for me. Blessed are you when people hate you, and one day, and he'll tell his disciples, they're going to hate you because they hated me. But Jesus starts out the Sermon on the Mount here. Blessed are you when they persecute you because of me. Right away, this is is not some ordinary guy who's kind of suggesting that I might have some authority here. No, he's, he's telling you I'm different. And people are astonished right out of the gate. He goes on, verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So as he finishes this first section, he tells them to rejoice. Why? Because your comfort is not here on earth. Your reward is in heaven. And this is going to be a constant theme throughout here. So as we walk through the rest of the the Sermon on the Mount, and it's going to be at this pace, so take notes. If you have questions afterward, please let me know. Um, But I want you to see a couple things as we walk through. Think about the crowd. Think about the people who are hearing this for the first time. Think about the teachings themselves, how different this is if you've only had um, repetitive laws, do's and don'ts, repeated to you your entire life. Think about... The uh, teachers themselves, who would have been teaching this, and and what Jesus is saying here is is flying right in the face of of all of the conventional wisdom of the day. But think most importantly about the authority. We're going to focus on the, on the, the statements that Jesus uses to proclaim his own authority here. Let's continue. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Salt does two things. It preserves and it gives flavor. And salt does not have any inherent powers of its own in this context. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you your saltiness. Because of me, I'm going to put you in the world to preserve the world. I'm going to put you in the world to give it flavor. I'm going to put you in the world so that it doesn't die. You are my preserving agents in the world. And it's a similar concept with light. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that, most importantly, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The light of the world came into the world, John tells us in John 1, 1. We're not the light, we're not the original source, but with Christ in us, we become his light. And as he came to shine light in the darkness, his light was given to us to shine light in the darkness, so that people may see us the way we glimmer and shine, not to praise us, but to praise our Father in heaven, that our good works would glorify God, None of these good works mean anything unless it's for God's glory. Because if it's for our glory, it's a different sermon. There are plenty of churches with plenty of seats who are telling you that your glory is your glory. This is not Jesus' sermon. Jesus came to give his Father glory. He came so that we could give his Father glory, our Father glory. This is radical. This is not look at me. This is look at my God. Verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is the lawgiver himself saying that I came not to abolish, not to destroy, but to fulfill. I'm the perfect lawgiver because I'm so perfect. I will fulfill this law perfectly for me so that I can become the perfect sacrifice and for you, so that you don't have to. And this law is not void if it isn't met. It still stands, he tells us in verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Before Jesus died on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. The law was accomplished. The law was fulfilled Perfectly, when he fulfilled it on the cross. Then and only then is it accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This is also going to be a theme. Who are great in the kingdom of heaven? Who belongs in the kingdom of heaven? Those who keep my words and do them, those who keep these laws and do them. They belong to the kingdom of heaven because these things are good. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is going to blow people's minds because you're saying these religious guys here who pray in the middle of the street, who scream out to God and stop traffic so you can see how holy they are, I have to be more holy than them? Yes, you do. And you can hear Jesus' disciples, then who can be saved? You're either saved by your righteousness, have fun with with that, or you're saved by his righteousness. The lawgiver himself is coming to correct these teachers of the law who are adding extra burdens onto people. The misunderstandings and the misapplications of the law mean this is groundbreaking, and not only is he saying that, but you have to be more righteous than them. Thankfully, my righteousness is sufficient for you. You can either live by the law's standards on your own or take on my righteousness and exceed the law. That is good news, brothers and sisters. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, but whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, Here's the first string of authority. You have heard it said, but I say. Saying those guys, what they've told you is correct on face value. What they told you is correct by the letter. You have heard it said of those of old. The scribes, they're repeating what they, they heard. The scribes are repeating someone else's authority, who's repeating someone else's authority, who's repeating what Moses told them, who's repeating what God himself told them. Moses. Moses. Jesus is saying, I am the word. I am the living word. I spoke to Moses on the mountain. You've heard it said, but I say. This is the first of an amazing declaration. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar... Jesus is talking about anger. Jesus is looking at the heart. Again, he says, you've heard the letter, but let me give you the spirit. If you're angry with someone, you've already committed murder in your heart. What does he say here in verse 24? First, be reconciled to your brother. The creator of heaven and earth, who is reconciling all things to himself, has given us the ministry of reconciliation not to hold on to anger. We have no reason to hold on to anger because God didn't hold on to his anger with us. He reconciled us to himself so that we can be reconcilers. Any of these prohibitions in here do not talk about what the responsibility of the other person is, which is probably the most frustrating part about all this. It never says, make sure that they apologize first. Make sure that they're really sorry before you reconcile with them. No. You're my children. I'm the reconciler of all things. I'm giving you a ministry of reconciliation. Be like me. Because if anyone had the right to be angry with those who hated him, angry with those who falsely accused him, angry with those who beat and killed him, it was Christ. He did this. He prayed for those who persecuted him. He loved those who were shouting for his death. He goes on, you've heard it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, again, my authority, you've heard the letter, let me tell you the spirit, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body goes into hell. We can trust Jesus on this. He's got a little bit of a bigger perspective than, than we do. And what he's telling us here is it is so easy to get caught up in the things of our day-to-day life. Lust. I want to be pleased right now. Jesus is telling you, no, I'm offering you eternal riches. It is better to lose your eye, your hand, your, your, your foot on earth, and to be whole in heaven. It is better to see things the way I see them because I am outside of time and I know from eternity the plans that I have for you. I know the place that I prepare for you. Are you really going to grovel around in the mud seeking temporary pleasures? Stealing? Lusting? Cut your eye out. Cut your hand off you kidding me? They do that in some countries. It won't change your heart, but it'll probably change your behavior. Jesus is looking at the heart here. Put these things away from you. Whatever causes you to stumble, whatever causes you or your brother to stumble, get rid of it at all costs. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, each one of these was a separate sermon. We can't spend the time we need to on these. But marriage, created by, created by God. We just spent the last couple weeks on Wednesday night looking at this. That this is pre-fall. This is a good thing that man and woman come together to honor God in their marriage, to complement each other well. And in their day, like our day, marriage was abused. And men who were divorcing their wives for any reason, casting them off, and in that society, a woman had no recourse after she was divorced. You know, in our culture, we have this phrase called irreconcilable differences, which I want to just get on a tangent for for a, a minute. If you think about this, right, This happens in the church. I know Christians, you know Christians who have checked the box that says irreconcilable differences. Call yourself a Christian, but yet the God of the universe who sent his son to reconcile all things to himself can't reconcile your messed up marriage. Christ is reconciling all things to himself. If he can raise you from the dead, he can change your sinning husband. He can change your sinning wife. Sexual immorality drives this wedge within a marriage. And even then, there's a call to reconciliation. But if you must, Jesus tells them, divorce only exists because of your sinful hearts. This is the only thing that I will accept. Because you have broken that bond. You have sinned against your own flesh. He continues, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but perform task excuse me but shall perform to the lord what you have sworn this is the key to all of this you shall not swear falsely but perform to the lord we don't need to say i swear to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth because god is watching us we speak unto the lord we have a handshake we agree to do something unto the lord because we are people of integrity because our god is can be trusted so we should be trusted we should do all things unto the Lord. Jesus says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more comes from the evil one. Let's be people of simple integrity. Yes or And no. He goes on. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloaks as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Again, there's so much here. If you want to hear these messages, they, they are on, on the website. If you want to go back and listen to as we spend more, more time here. Look, what is Jesus saying here? We are not to be governed by pride and, and vengeance and try to justify ourselves all the time. We are not to try to get even. We are not the ones who judge every action of every person. By the way, Jesus did all these things. Jesus was taken miles with his own cross. Jesus was slapped and bruised and he turned the other cheek. It goes on. You've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is saying the standard here is not like everyone else. You're to be like me. I am perfect. The standard is perfection. And we talked about this word, perfection. It means wholeness, complete, lacking nothing. To lack nothing is to be like Christ. Not to do the bare minimum, to smile and get by like the rest of the world does. But do your good works in such a way that your light shines before men and they glorify your Father who is in heaven. And then you'll be perfect. I came to make you pure, to make you holy, to make you blameless, to make you perfect before the Father, not to be average, not to be like the rest of the world. Now he gets into the practice, chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Jesus many times doesn't doesn't have us look too far before he gives us the purpose of all this. Verse 1 Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. It's pretty straightforward. Doing good things so that others will be pleased with you and not God. He told us earlier, we are doing all things unto the Lord. But do not do your good works so that people will look on you and say, Hey, look how great he is. Look how great she is. Look at her righteousness. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That is the reward that we are to look to. Because it is Christ's kingdom and he's the one who gives out the reward. I mean, he's he's giving us these like secret game codes. Like you want to know where the treasures are found? I will tell you, it's not here. It's not doing things so that men can see him. It's doing things so that only your Father in heaven can see him. And then he gives you all the treasures. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your right hand know um, your, excuse me, your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret. Reward you. This is a continuation. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Again, Jesus is drawing this contrast Be like me, not the hypocrites. I am the authority, not these people who look religious on the outside. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward already. But when you pray, go in your room, shut the door pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Does that mean we shouldn't pray openly? We talked about this. Of course not. But we don't pray so that other people can watch us. We pray because, not because we have to, to look righteous. We pray because we get to. We are invited into a conversation with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we get to come before God and say, Daddy, I need you. Daddy, I love you. That is why we pray, whether in public or in private. And if you are tempted to be seen by others, go in a closet. Because there's no pride there. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Our God is sovereign. Our God does not need to be told. He doesn't need our wish lists. listens patiently, far more patient than I would be. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I don't know what's amazing about this. I just realized it for the first time this this week. We spent three weeks on the Lord's Prayer. Jesus, as Rod read earlier, was given all authority on heaven and earth. He created heaven and earth. And what does he pray? Father. He doesn't pray for his own welfare. He prays for his brothers. He defers to the Father's authority. This is what submission looks like. Wives, you have a hard time submitting to your husbands. Husbands, you have a hard time submitting to anything. And Jesus is submitting to the Father. Jesus, who has all authority in all heaven and all earth, says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, not my name. This is amazing. For if you forgive others their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Christians, we forgive, not out of compulsion, but because we are forgiven people. Without Christ, we don't know what forgiveness looks like. With Christ, forgiveness changes everything. And when you fast, same principle. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This theme continues and continues. Have an eternal perspective. You are citizens of my kingdom. Seek heavenly things. Why are you running around with earthly things? Like C.S. Lewis says, you know, when, when we come, we come to, to Christ... Um, many times we're still content playing in the mud because we have no idea what a holiday at the sea looks like. We could be at the beach in the sun enjoying God's glory, but here we are with sticks playing in the mud. We're desiring earthly things when heavenly riches are before us in order to be our focus for all things. Verse 21 is the key to this and these next several sections. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your heart follows what you Desire. And so Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. The eye in in scripture talks about what we desire, what we see, what we understand. The things that you focus your eye on, the things that your eye delights in, will transform your heart and vice versa. If your heart is, is wicked, your eye will turn to wicked things. If your heart is pure, your eye will look on things that are holy and lovely and beautiful and honoring to God. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Again, earthly things, heavenly things. Whether it's money, whether it's power, Fame, relationships, whatever it is, you can't serve God in those things. They become idols. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. Same principle. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is not more, excuse me, is not life more than food, the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Some of us need to read that verse every day. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Anxiety is not from the Lord. It is a lack of faith. He will provide. The one who created the flowers, who provides for the flowers, who created you, will provide for you. Verse 34 is the key here. This kingdom focus, everything else will be added. We've said this before, that if you desire the world and not Christ, you will lose both. But if you desire Christ and the things of his kingdom, you will gain both. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Judge not, that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First... Take out the log in your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brothers. We are not to pass judgment or condemnation. This is the judge of heaven and earth. The one who will judge all things is telling us, do not pass judgment. That is my job. You honor me. You love me and love others and let me take care of the rest. The judge is telling us this. Do not give to the dogs what is holy. Now throw your pearls before pigs unless they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the uh, first warning about discernment. Make sure that you're not wasting holy things on that which is not holy. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks it will be opened Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? Our our Father is good. He gives every good gift, and He wants more for us than we want for ourselves. But we can't read this without reading everything that comes before it. We can't read this without being poor in spirit. We can't read this without shining our light. We can't read this without wanting to pray to the God who is is holy. We don't just ask in and of ourselves. We ask because the rest of this is true, because we've been forgiven, because we have not been judged according to the standard which we deserved. And we come before him in that posture. We can ask freely. We can seek the things of God, and we can knock and be given. So, Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them, for this is the law and the prophets. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He responded, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your might, and your strength. This is the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On this rest all the law and the prophets. So he says here, whatever you wish to do that others would do to you, you do to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying... Love me, and because you love me, love others and do to them how you want them to do to you, then you are keeping the law and the prophets. Because you love me, you love others, and you treat them the way you want to be treated. The sermon finishes here. Now the transition sets in, because he's telling us this is not easy. Here's where all the bad stuff comes in. Enter by the narrow gate. This is a command. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. This isn't discomfort, this is destruction. It's easy. The the narrow gate is hard. What I'm telling you is hard. Jesus is not lost uh, on his own teaching saying, this is not simple stuff. Most of the world is not going to do this and it leads them to destruction, but you, you are to enter by the narrow gate. You are to stay on the narrow way. We spent time in this. We spent time in Pilgrim's Progress looking at all of the, the, the pitfalls that come along in the Christian life. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. This is not for the many. This is not mass consumption theology here. This is not your best life now though this is a tough life now and a glorious life for eternity. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravenous wolves you will recognize them by their fruits. Again, more prohibitions. Be careful. There are false prophets out there, ravenous wolves. And all those, all those cartoons or wily coyotes putting on those, those sheep costumes, I mean, this is that times a thousand. This is spiritual warfare. These are demons masquerading as gospel preachers. That's why when we stand up here and preach. We better be sure that we're not preaching our own authority and our own gospel. The only reason I can open this book, the only reason Justin can open this book is because it is Christ's authority and we speak his words on his authority under punishment of condemnation. Beware of false prophets. Because if you've been listening to the rest of my sermon, you will know them by their fruits. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. For every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And we talked about this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Gentleness, self-control, the fruits of the Spirit, the outpouring work of the Spirit is outpouring from those who have been transformed by grace and who are now indwelt with the Holy Spirit. They cannot help but proclaim the one they love, the one who saved them, and not proclaim themselves like the ravenous wolves do. Because, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Jesus is continuing this this teaching. These false prophets will look good on the outside, but they are dead inside. And this is the height of his authority. They're going to come to him. These people who are proclaiming to know him are going to come before Jesus and say, look what I've done. I don't know you. They're going to say to me. They're going to say they've done these things in my name. I'm going to say, you're a liar. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do we not do mighty works in your name? They understand the proper authority. They just don't know that authority. They recognize there's some power over here, like those, those sons of, of, of Sceva, who said, I want to do what they're doing in Jesus' name over there. We don't know him. They don't, he doesn't know them. And now the judge stands up pronounces his ruling over the court. Verse 23, And then I declare to them, I never knew you. If that's not authority, I don't know what is. Depart from me. You're sentenced, you workers of lawlessness. Continues, Everyone then, this is not a separated thought, this is a continuation, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Here's the word does them wisdom being founded on Christ. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Capital R. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who's saying lord lord look at this house built on the sand. And the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Imagine sitting at the foot of that mountain listening to these words. Like thunder coming from the mouth of God himself. Shaking everything you thought you knew. Breaking down the most hardened Heart. Because this is condemnation to the self righteous. This is encouragement to those who are poor in spirit. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Very quickly, we see in this sermon that those who've been transformed. But the gospel of grace will inherit the kingdom, and they will live like one of its citizens. They are more concerned with pleasing their Father in heaven than men. They're storing up eternal treasures. They're not concerned with the business of this earth, yet they have to live on this earth. Because once you are called by God, you are transformed by the blood of Christ, and you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you are different You may look like everyone else in the world, but you are not to be like everyone else in the world. You are to be citizens of his kingdom and walk according to the walk of his Son so that the Father gets all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. I have a couple questions, and we're going to close. Are you just listening to the teachings of these good moral doctrines? Or more importantly, do you know the authority of the one who teaches them. Because this is the only teaching throughout history where the one who has the authority over it is more important than the words that he's saying. Because these are empty words without knowing the authority, knowing the one who has been given the power to speak declaratively like this. Or do we prefer the wisdom of men? We prefer to be seen in the favor of, of men? Do we prefer the things that the culture prefers in this outward religiousness that is, is moral and upright in our own standing? Do we know the lawgiver or are we trying to keep the law ourselves? Thus, making ourselves like the scribes, teaching things they don't know. So, hopefully. This encourages us. In Christ, we are a new creation. We are citizens, of the new heavens and new earth, and we are new people. And without Christ, we're trying to meet an unreachable standard on our own. Just pray that you would know the one who has authority over all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need to be reminded over and over and over again that we are here for Your glory and for Your honor. Not for ourselves, not to please others. We are here because of Your Son. We read and learn and grow because of His authority. Because of His perfect example. His perfect sacrifice. Lord, let us be people who grow into your image, who love you more than we love our own lives, who love you more than the things of this earth and who love the one, loves the one who has authority over heavens and earth. We throw ourselves at his feet and humbly rest. In the power and the majesty and the glory of the King of kings and the Prince of peace, the Lord of lords, the Messiah, the Son of man, the Son of God, Jesus, the only name under heaven in which man can be saved. Amen.